0: Good morning. It should be a good morning. and should be a good day for the Jewish people. We should hear besoros tovos, yeshuas v'nechamos. Sweeping victory hostages should be brought home. Our soldiers should return to their families and we should hear only good things. We should have miracles of this Chanukah. Bayamim ahim bazman azeh. Afrelich and lichtig a chanaka should be a chanaka filled with light to dispel all of this darkness which is surrounding us. I want to thank our generous... Pasha series sponsors for the year, Becky and Avi Katz. Our dear friends, the Katz is a memory of Becky's father. Our learning is Lili Nishanos David Ben-Menach, David Grossman. Today's year is also sponsored by Golda Sadowski in honor of Rabbi Chia Leib and Doris Kurtzer, her dear aunt and uncle. Should be well, have good health, and uh, it's wonderful to have them back. Okay, following shir immediately, we will, as always, complete all of Sefer Tehillim. Please remain for a few moments to complete all of Sefer Tehillim in the merit of those that we so love and think about a few words about Hanukkah, and then we'll dive into the Parsha, Parshas Miketz. It's a great Parsha. Not just because it's my Bar Mitzvah Parsha, but it's a great Parsha, filled with an incredible narrative and storyline, lessons, and Parsha perspectives for today. A word or two about Hanukkah, because we can't find ourselves on the fifth day of Hanukkah without mentioning a word or a thought about Hanukkah. The Tefer Shlomo, the Hele Garib Shlomo of Radamsk, points out that the Gemara tells us in Shabbos Taf Rabbi Zera teaches Amar Rav, Bem Madlikim Oils and wicks that are ineligible, that do not qualify to light the Shabbos candles with, they are permissible. They qualify halachically. One is allowed to light them for the Hanukkah candles. And certainly the Gemara is talking about, strictly speaking, halachically. It means in the halachic definition of what are appropriate materials, what qualify. There are oils and wicks, we say about Mehmet every Friday night and enumerate and list many of them. There are oils and wicks that you're allowed to use that burn beautifully and purely and catch fire easily. And there are those that are putrid, or those that don't burn purely or produce a nice light, which are ineligible. Certainly it means halachically, it means technically. Even those that are disqualified, ineligible for Shabbos are qualified for Hanukkah. But the Hasidim, the Radamsker, and others understands it to mean homiletically. And what it means is, a yid, a Jew, neshamos, shaman is a nishama. Shemen is an allusion to the neshama. Psilos is leguf, and the wick is symbolic of the body. It means a yid who doesn't connect to Shabbos. The Jew who struggles to get into, who has been moved by, or elevated, or enriched by Shabbos, nevertheless, can be inspired by Hanukkah. The oils and wicks that don't ignite for Shabbos are kosher for Hanukkah. The Jew who can't get excited by and doesn't get into Shabbos, Hanukkah is something special. Hanukkah comes along and it lights up the Jewish soul. Hanukkah, we dispel the darkness. We look at those candles. We don't utilize. They don't have utility. We don't read or we don't see next to them, but we simply stare at them and we stare into our own soul. We see the flicker of the flame and we see our soul dancing. The same way the candle, whatever direction you hold it, the flame flickers. It dances up. Similarly, however you hold our body, whatever direction we face, whether we're on the ascent or we feel we're on the descent, even when we're turned upside down, the flame still flickers up. We're still striving and climbing and growing. And that that's what it means, that even the oil and wick, which is ineligible for Shabbos, the Jew who's not excited, doesn't get lit by Shabbos, can get lit by Hanukkah, we get excited by Hanukkah. And that's what it means, le'oseh o rim gedolim, in what Chazal called the Halal Hagadol in the Perak of Talmud that's made up of two columns we mention all these great things of God we end Chasto one of the things we say is Leose Orim God you make great lights and says the Rambam what that means is what are the lights Orim is plural. What are the great lights that you make, kiliyolam Chasto? In your kindness, you give us access. You, you expose us to sparks or light or flames to ignite our soul. What are those orim? What are those lights? Shabbos and Hanukkah. Shabbos, menucha v'simcha, or la Shabbos is called menucha v'simcha, rest and joy. Or Shabbos is a weekly light for Jews, or la Yehudim. And Hanukkah, of course, is obviously we light the candles. In your kindness, you give us access. You allow us to plug ourselves in. You allow us to become inspired. You allow ourselves to be lit up. This Hanukkah is a very different, difficult time to get lit up. It's very hard. It's very hard. And I know we're now five. Today's the fifth day of Hanukkah. My good friend Ben Isaacs put out a little video this morning. He said the fifth day means that there's more candles of the menorah lit than unlit. It's a big turning point on Hanukkah. We're more than halfway there. It means the menorah is more than 50% on fire. We should be more than 50% lit on fire on our way to being entirely lit up. It's the fifth day. It's a big day. We're more than 50%, but it's a difficult Hanukkah and we're all struggling. Are we just supposed to eat sufkaniyot and play dreidel and listen to music and sing and dance and go to concerts? And it's not an ordinary Hanukkah. It's not an ordinary Hanukkah when there are soldiers trying to figure out where to light their menorah in their tanks and in Gaza. It's not an ordinary Hanukkah. So I want to, we'll go to the parsha in one moment, but I want to end the Hanukkah section by telling you an amazing insight of the Eretz Tri of Ariye Tzvi Frimer, the kosher gover The helig of kosher says the following, Gabi, ad ner Hanukkah. Dasa ha v'aran, when do we light the Hanukkah candles? When is the ideal time? Halachically, when do we light? We light in a very unusual time. We light after shkia, after sunset. And according to most opinions, even before Tzeis, even before nightfall, in a period that's known as Bein Hashmoshos. Hashmoshos means twilight. We light in the period known as twilight. And why is this very unusual, very peculiar? There's no other mitzvah that we perform or fulfill who the parameter of that mitzvah is twilight. We have mitzvahs during the day. And the Mishnah tells us the mitzvahs during the day are from sunrise to sunset. And the mitzvahs at night are from nightfall until dusk, until dawn. So, what mitzvah do you have that falls? Ben Here, when do we light the candles? When is the ideal time? We don't have a Dvar between Mechamarev. We light the menorah in Shul and we quickly go home so we can light at the most ideal time which is shortly after Shkia, during Ben Hashmashos, during twilight. Why would we light in twilight? We have no other mitzvah that we specifically light during twilight, so why do the Bahag and the Ran, why do we bask? And that's the best time to light. And listen to what the Koshik Lovergon says. When did the miracle of Hanukkah happen? Hanukkah is essentially sort of between the Beis HaMikdash and Golos This is all we have left over. This is the closest we come to the Avoda of the Beis HaMikdash to light our menorah in our Mikdash Ma'at, reminiscent of the Kli, of the holy vessel of the menorah in the Beis HaMikdash. Like the Ramban writes in Bamidbar, When he told Aaron, don't worry, Parshat Baaloch, your mitzvah, don't be jealous of... We're reading now from Parshas Naso the gifts of the Nesim, the 12 leaders of the tribes. And Aaron, Parshish Baalosch begins, Rashi quotes, Aaron was jealous. He said, it's not fair to me. I want to offer these gifts. I want to make these sacrifices. And Hashem said, relax, don't worry. Yours is greater than theirs because theirs is temporary, will expire, and yours goes on forever. What's the yours that will go on forever? Lighting the menorah. How does the lighting of the menorah go on forever? Because we continue to light the menorah today commemorating the lighting of the menorah in the Beis HaMikdash. In this room, where are we lighting the menorah? It's still lit right now from Shacharis. Where is it lit? Many shuls get this wrong. Where do they place and light their menorah? On the bima. The bima, if you're at least in the United States, is what wall? The eastern wall. But in the Beis HaMikdash, in the Heichal, that's not where the menorah was. Where was the menorah? On the southern wall. That's why I wrote to Yadrin. If you want to access total wisdom, turn towards the south, That's where wisdom is because the menorah was on the southern wall. And how is the menorah lit from west to east? So, therefore, the Mishnah Buddha brings down, the one who's lighting the menorah in shul should stand with their back to the southern wall, facing the northern wall, lighting the menorah from west to east. And if you look at our menorah, as you'd expect, it is lit correctly, appropriately, accurately. Why do we do it that way? In our homes, we don't say light on the southern wall, with your back to the southern wall, facing, facing the northern wall west to east. Why do we do it that way in shul if we don't do it that way at home? Because the menorah in shul is different than the menorah at home. The menorah in shul is reminiscent of commemorating the way the Beis mikdash. the menorah was lit in the Beis mikdash. So the Ramban says, Be'alos Hashem was telling Aaron, Don't worry, don't be jealous, don't be envious. Theirs is temporary. But yours, you're going to continue to light the menorah through all time. How? Through the holiday of Hanukkah. It's all that we have left. It's the closest we come to having the avodah. It's the only kli that we still have and that we still light. Even here in the exile, even now in the darkness of the exile, we still have the light of the menorah. So, Nighttime is galus exile. Daytime, light is Geula. Clarity, light, brightness, hope, optimism. Nighttime, darkness, despondency, despair. So when is the right time to light the menorah? Between the day and the night, because Chanukah is the bridge between Golas and Geula. Chanukah, we're holding on to the Beis Amikdash, but where are we kindling that light? While we're in a state of galus? So when is the appropriate time to light the very vessel. When is the appropriate time to commemorate the holiday, which is the bridge between Golas and Geula? In the time, that is the bridge between Golas and Geula called Bena Hashemashos. In other words, Hanukkah, a yid should feel a sense of twilight. I'm in a place in a state of twilight. I'm happy, I'm joyous, I'm indulging latkes and sufkanayot, giving gifts, going to Hanukkah, mesibas and chagigas. But I'm still in Gullus. I never did we feel the Gullus in my lifetime as much as this year. Every day we wake up in the middle of the night. We wake up in the morning throughout the day. We have reports, soldiers giving and losing their lives, dying. Mizu. There's no greater Gullus. There's no greater Gullus than Harvard's letter of faculty unanimously, the board unanimously deciding their righteous president will keep her job. That's Gullus. Make no mistake, that is a darkness of gullus. That a person who can't say that genocide against Jews is wrong has the unanimous support. There's no greater gullus. There's no greater darkness. All of Boston, no offense if you're from Boston, is, is in a great state of darkness. There is no day. There is no twilight. It's just dark. It's just dark as long as that university continues to have that position and until MIT fires their president. It's just darkness. So how do we commemorate Hanukkah this year like we do every year? By lighting the menorah during Ben Hashemashos. By realizing that a Jew lives in that tension. A Jew lives in that gray. A Jew lives that. And when you see the videos of soldiers in Gaza, in the field, Bashetach, soldiers on their base, I had the privilege of experiencing it last week, they're able to sing and dance and celebrate. They're able to light their menorah and tap into the miracle. They're able to have faith and hope and optimism and find the light within the darkness then so can we. That's where we get our strength from, that a yid lights their menorah when? Bena says the Kashuk lover. Says the Eretzvi, says Reva Yitzhi When do we light our menorah? Be'en between shkiya and Sesah Kochavim. When it's not entirely day, we don't have the base HaMigdash, but it's also not entirely night, it's not entirely Golas, we still have a menorah. We still have the light that we can kindle. So it's that combination, and that's why we light the menorah, tafka specifically then. Okay, let's get into Parshas. Page two hundred and twenty-two in the article, stone chumash vayimikets nusaim yamim ufaroch holim vineo made al yeor. He now made al yeor. It is now at the end of two years to the day. Paro was holim. He's dreaming, and what is his dream? He's standing on the river. And when, behold, out of the river there emerged seven cows of beautiful appearance and robust flesh, and they were grazing in the marshland. And seven other cows followed them out from that marsh. From that river, Cos Basar, and these seven next cows, they were gaunt of flesh. They were all taking ozempic. And they stood next to the cows on the bank of the river. The pre-ozempic and post-ozempic cows next to each other on the bank of the river. And the cows that were very thin and gaunt and flesh, flesh ate the seven robust zaftig healthy beautiful cows notice which ones does the Torah call beautiful and robust and what happened this is his recurring dream how do we know it's a recurring dream how many times how long did he have this dream two years what, what doesn't say it doesn't say he dreamt in past tense it's it's Cholem, he's dreaming. Why does it say he's dreaming? Chazal tell us. He had a recurring dream. Every night he closed his eyes. Every night he popped his pills, drank his lachaim, found a way to fall asleep. And every night he had the same dream. Parshashir is just an autobiographical opportunity for me to sit up here and tell you about my life. So, Paro closed his eyes, and every night he had the same dream. Wasn't once good enough? Why did he have the same dream? Not once. Not for two days or two weeks or two months, two years in a row, he has the same recurring dream over and over and over again. Why? Why would Hashem have him have the same recurring dream for two straight years? It's a great question. I'll leave you with it. Even though we have a great answer, we'll save it for another time. So, what's in his dream? Seven cows follow the seven fat cows. So, Al Pasuk Gimel, you right? We're flying now. We went all the way to Pasuk Gimel. Here we go. Tsrikhim Lahavin says the Tefer Shemur Baum, our new safer this year that we're going through that we adore and love, but I think we don't have beyond safer bracious. We have to see. Tsrikhim Lahavin Madu Aphilo Echon Nechai, two minutes time, Lotzlich, the Yosef. So Paro, of course, is agitated and aggravated. If you had the same recurring dream for two years you couldn't make sense of, you too would be aggravated and agitated. He wakes up and he consults all of his dream interpreters, and they're all worthless. They all do nothing for him. Like when I asked my kids what to get my wife for Hanukkah. Worthless. They did nothing for him, my advisors. They did nothing. So, Paro then turns and he's told, we'll get to it in a moment, to bring Yosef. Why couldn't they come, skipping ahead, we all know where the story goes, why couldn't they anticipate what Yosef's interpretation is? How does Yosef interpretate, interpret seven thin years, seven fat years, the thin cows eat the fat cows, oh, there'll be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine, the famine will consume the plenty, they couldn't come up with such an einfal. They couldn't come up with such a great ingenious approach. Why is it so ingenious to realize that the seven fat years are talking about seven fat cows, are talking about seven fat years, and the seven thin years are years of of uh, depression? And the same thing with the stalks of wheat. What's so great? What's so brilliant? Paro hears Yosef's interpretation, spoiler alert, and he says, wow, Wow. who is this not? He doesn't say, who is this super genius? What does he say? Who is this spiritual giant? Have you ever seen a man filled with the Spirit of God? Yosef offered what the Fed chairman would offer as an interpretation. (laughs) Yosef offers what an economist would offer as an interpretation. And and Paro doesn't say, wow, what a financial genius. Paro says, what a spiritual man. Ooh, wow, somebody you could see with such insight, such brilliance, such ingenuity, must be a man of God. Where's God in the economic prediction and and uh, strategy? It's pretty logical. It's a pretty logical conclusion. There's another anomaly. Because what happens in the dream? There's a point where they overlap. The seven thin cows and the seven fat cows. When Yosef interprets them, he does not suggest that they overlap. He says... There'll be seven years of plenty. The stock market will rocket. Real estate through the roof. But then the economy is going to turn. Because they're going to elect. Then the economy is going to turn. And everything is going to plummet. And you're going to see the stock market go down, the real estate go down, inflation go up. And there's going to be an economic downturn. But it doesn't happen at the same time. <speaking> Or how did Yosef know to interpret it that way? If they, if in the dream, the seven thin and the seven fat cows are side by side next to each other, they overlap for a time, why did Yosef interpret them as seven separate time periods with no overlap? It says it to Shmuel. Listen carefully. Because the truth is, the years of famine did overlap with the years of of plenty, how? By definition, they can't overlap. If you're in a period of famine, if you're in an economic downturn, you're not in an economic boom. And if you're in an economic boom, you're not suffering from an economic downturn. So how could they overlap? How could they be integrated as one, only in one way? And what is that? When during the economic uptick, you're already planning for and saving for and thinking about the economic downturn. That's how they overlap. And that was Yosef's genius. When everyone else wanted to spend, 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 ooh, we're flush with money. We're so prosperous. We have. Where should we go on vacation? What should we build onto our home? How should we upgrade our car? What should we buy? What jewelry do you want? Yosef says, not so fast. Save Put away for any day. Put away from when you're going to need. Live responsibly. When a person thinks, and I can't tell you how often I've seen this, because I'm old enough now to have lived through a few cycles, how often people who thrive and flourish when the economy is going crazy, people in sales or mortgages or real estate, who are, when the economy is going great, they're killing it. And they believe and they craft a lifestyle like it will go on that way forever. And instead of realizing we happen to be having a couple good years, but this may and won't last forever. So I better not change my lifestyle permanently. I'm not going to have three housekeepers and a nanny and vacations and a this and a that because what happens if it's not so good? One great year and now I'm going to, on a data point of one great year, assume that the rest of my life, decades to come, that's how I can live? That's foolish. Such a person didn't have good parents or mentors or teachers. To teach them, save, plan, don't assume, live modestly, live live frugally. But that's what Yosef understood. That's where the chartumim fell short. They too could have thought, oh, thin, fat, prosperous, downturn. No, but it doesn't work because they overlap in the dream how does one make them overlap in real life? And the way to make them overlap in real life is that in the years of plenty, you save. So therefore, you don't panic and you're not worried in that downturn. Why? Because you were ready for it. You knew the world works in cycles and you were ready. That was built in. You know where else that gets built in? As one of the chairs of the ORB, we deal with kashrus. Speak to the people who run. The ORB is the largest food service vod hakashrus outside of Israel means there are other bigger who have companies and accounts, but food service, which is the part of cash nobody wants to do that brings in the least amount of money and has the most aggravation. Baruch Hashem, we have the most amount of restaurants and caterers, and we've got the most. Not easy. Speak to any restaurant owner in South Florida, and they will tell you that you have to make enough in the winter to cover the summer. Because in the summer, if you're in kosher in the summer, then you don't plan to make, to profit, You just want to break even. If you can break even off-season, you're happy. You need to make enough in-season to cover off-season. To cover off-season. That's a Yosef mentality. That's a Yosef mentality. Not, ooh, in December and January. Yeshiva week of January? That's now my week? I should assume I'm going to have that week every week. Ooh, Hanukkah? I killed it in my restaurant? That's my new bar. That's my new standard, my new default, my new baseline. That's going to be... You're a fool if you think that way. You're a fool. You're a fool. Yosef understood that. <speaking in Hebrew> they didn't understand. <speaking in Hebrew> what did Yosef have? What quality did he have that enabled him to see this way? He lived being roa Es That was our Shabbat Shuvaj Russia this year a To live with your future self in mind. Too many people live the present, but I want, but I crave, but I need. They live for the present, as opposed to living for your future self. When you live for the present, you stay up all night, wasting time, depriving yourself of sleep. But if you don't get the right amount of sleep, the chances of having dementia and memory loss later in life skyrockets. Too many people say, but but I didn't try the 17th Sufkaniyah yet. I had the chocolate and I had the cream and I had the jelly, but I didn't. So they don't look at their future self, how their future self feels about their present self having, you know, more than eight a night to commemorate this eight-day holiday. So we have to live. We spoke about Shabbat Shriva, the future self. Who introduces the concept of a future self? Yosef HaTzadik. He's Roa Es Hanolad. Chacham roa Es Hanolad. Chacham roa Es Hanolad. That's the quality, the capacity to not live in the present, but to live understanding we don't forfeit or abandon the present for the future, but we live fully in the present. We make the most of the present by having the future inform our present. The future inspires our present. But to ezuchacham, Chacham, who is really a wise person, who has the future inform and inspire their present. And that's why Yosef tells him, Yatayirei paro ishnavon, Yosef does something incredibly radical. Yosef does something incredibly... It's a very fine line between courageous and stupid. What does Yosef do? Yosef is taken out of the pit, cleaned up, given an audience with the king. He goes from the lowest of the low to this is his chance, his opportunity to get out. And what is he asked to do? What is his task at hand? Interpret the dream. And does he keep it to that? No, he goes a little bit further. He doesn't just interpret the dream, what else does he do? He says, and if I may, I'd like to now offer a suggestion. I've interpreted the dream. I could tell you what's happening in your subconscious, subconscious, and now I'd like to tell you what you should do about it. You need to hire a Ishnavon vechacham. You need somebody who is very prescient, who's very brilliant, who has very great foresight, who is very disciplined. He if you're Paro, you could say off with your head. Mukhutsev, I don't need your head with solutions. All I asked you to do was interpret the dream. What I do now, I don't need your help with. I'm the king. I'm the brilliant one. I'm the CEO. I'm the ruler. I'm in charge. Instead, Paro says, Ooh, wow. Look at this man of God. Look at this man of God. But Yosef understood that it's not a matter of just interpreting the dream. The dream's interpretation only has fruition if it includes the solution. Everyone else only offered a problem. Everyone knows this is one of my mantras. You could bring any, there are a lot of things to criticize about me, about our shul, about our community. There's a lot of ways we could improve. I welcome, I invite anyone to offer a constructive criticism, but here is the condition. You're only allowed to criticize and point out a problem if you offer a solution. And if you offer to be part of the solution. Criticism, I don't need your help. I can tell you everything wrong with me too. But you have to come not only with the problem and the criticism, you have to come with the solution. All the other said, This is what it means. Here's the problem. Here's the challenge. Here's the issue. Yosef's the only one who said, And I have a solution, and I'd like to be part of the solution. I could be part of your solution. He's the only one. Furthermore, says the Shmuel Baranbaum, Kola Ola Meitzel, kolal Yisrael, Yubageder, Prosdor, Shu Ola Maba, what accustomed Yosef? Why was Yosef already accustomed to live with the, with the future in mind? Why was he living with his future self? Not just his present self. I shared on Shabbat The research is mind-boggling. They are able to do brain scans and surveys to evaluate how we relate How do you relate to your brother, your cousin, your uncle, your neighbor, a complete stranger, an acquaintance, a friend? How do we rate those relationships? What's your relationship with your present self? Meaning, how much do you care about your present self? How self-aware are you? How much would you sacrifice and take care of yourself? And what's your relationship with your future self? You all look at me like you weren't at the Shabbat Shuvah I guess I could give it again next year. What's your relationship with your future self? The research all shows... You relate to your future self like a complete stranger. Like a stranger. Don't bother me, future self. I want this sufganiya. I want to stay up another hour and deprive myself of sleep. I want to lose my cool and, and fly off the handle and be filled with rage. Why are you bothering me, future self? You're just a stranger. I don't know you. I don't care about you. It's not that we relate to our future self as a close friend, as a brother, as a cousin, as a complete stranger. But Yosef lived with his future self in mind. He was ro'as anolad. He knew how to live in the present, inspired and informed by the future. What taught him that? Where did he learn that from? Where did he learn that from? Because he grew up in the base medrash of Yaakov. He grew up in the base medrash of, of his of his father. And what was the base medrash of his father? It was the Mishnah Navos. Haskin Asmacha BeProzdor, Ketesha Tikanes Lachaklin. The whole Jewish philosophy and Jewish approach, our whole Jewish ideology, our lives and our lifestyle is crafted on that this world is temporary. We're just passing through. This is just the antechamber. This is just the lobby. This is just the greeting area. The real palace is the world to come. So keep your eye on the ball. Keep your eye on the prize. Enjoy the ride. Enjoy this world. Take from it the beauty of it. But don't ever for a moment mistakenly think this is the destination. This is just the journey. So from a young age all of us are raising our children and hopefully hopefully conditioning ourselves that we are preparing ourselves in this world for for the next one. So therefore he learned that we don't believe a choshaseki We don't believe carpe diem, live and eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow you may die. We live thinking about tomorrow should inspire today at the highest level. Okay, moving right along. Memalaf. Pasuk Yud We're even turning the page. Even turning the page. Sorry, I'm just having them raise the AC because for some reason it's blowing even though there's a cold front passing through. Pergamum Malav Pasuk Yud Base. So what happens? What happens? Paro is desperate. He's looking for somebody to interpret accurately and properly his dream. Going back before the spoiler alert where we know it's Yosef. So, Sarah Mashkim speaks to Paro, and he says, I'll remind you that I once was a bad boy. I made a mistake. I was putting time out. Do you remember? You became incensed. You played me in the, with, the, with the Sarah Ofim. You put me in jail. And I had a dream. And I too, I know the feeling. I know what you're going through. I also was aggravated and agitated. I know what it was like to live with this dream and not know what it means and how to interpret it. But you know, while I was in prison... You know, now our pasuket b'ez, the sham, itanu, there with us, na'ar ivri eved l'sara Tabachim. There was a Hebrew youth, a slave to the sara When he was in prison with us, he was in our cell, and we told him, and he successfully interpreted our dream, in accordance with our dream, and what he said would happen, how he interpreted it, spot on, he nailed it. So, you put me back into my job. And he hung the other. So Paro says, Good enough music to my ears. All I need to hear, go get him. So Yosef's languishing in prison, helpless and hopeless. He's writing on the wall, you know, one, two, three, four, and then uh, counting the days that he's in prison. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they say, Yosef! He says, Yeah, that's me. They say, Come. To shave. Change your clothing. You're coming before Paro, uwa. Coming before Paro, why, why? The Sarah Mashkim here does a taiva. The Sarah Mashkim does a very nice thing to Paro. He reminds here at Yosef. He reminds Paro that about Yosef. There is a part of his description of Yosef which is entirely gratuitous. It's just obnoxious. You can say. When I was in jail, I met somebody. He knows how to interpret dreams. He's your man. I have a guy for you. I have someone for you. I have a guy for you. Why doesn't he just say, I have a guy for you? Why does he have to say, I have a Jewish slave for you? I have a Jew who's a slave. A lowly Jew slave. But he's good at interpreting dreams. It's gratuitous. Why? Why? He was trying to tell Paro, Ein Yosef Roy Trying to stack the deck against Joseph. He's good at interpreting dreams, but don't give him any position of authority. Ain't big day don't get him dressed in royal garments, don't give him a position of authority, don't elevate him at all. Why? Why? So but what was Saram thinking? Lamaisa, Paro was going to have a very positive. Impression of Yosef. He'd have an incredibly successful interaction with Yosef. So why? Because you called him a lowly Jew. That was going to impact what Paro did with Yosef? L'maysa, when Yosef succeeds where everyone else failed, where Yosef helps Paro and saves the whole economy, how's it going to help that you said, Eved Ivri, that you called him a lowly Jew boy slave? nar Ivri Evid? How's that going to help? Says lamashish says, Yeshlamasheh ishkoachpashkafarishonah. Because Sarah Mashkim understood that you only have one chance to make a first impression. Wherever the anchor is dropped, whatever impression is put down first, it lasts. It has an influence, it has an impact. <speaking in Hebrew> if Paro would hear that Yosef is a lowly slave, <speaking in> he <Hebrew> Paro It's very, very, very difficult to overturn and overcome a first impression. A first impression. Very difficult. Very difficult. You see that all the time. Marketing agencies work off of that. The world of marketing works off of that. The world of Shiduchim works off of that. It's an incredible story of a couple in our shul who, in fact, a young woman moved into a building in the Upper West Side and she saw a guy and she had an interest. So she asked a friend about him, lived in the same building, and that guy hung out and talked to the doorman a lot. So the friend said, weirdo, talks to the doorman a lot. So in her mind, she said, weirdo, I'm not going to try to go out with her, get set up with a weirdo. I guess, forget it. Weeks and months, and I think over a year or two went by, and that was what she was told. Now, it turns out that he worked out of his apartment. He worked at home even before Corona when people did that, and he would get lonely and bored So every now and then, other people got to go to the coffee room or the water cooler to see another human being. He would walk out and she was with the doorman for a few minutes. Nothing wrong with that, a very gregarious, very friendly guy. So it turns out that after a significant period of time, he asked her out, and now they're happily married with kids living in our community. And she has such strong feelings of the friend who put this first impression in her mind. Weirdo. That's all it took. Weirdo. So because of that, She didn't go out with him and she delayed when she could have married him because they were meant to be and they could have been married so much earlier. All because the friend put that first impression. That's how dangerous it is in shiduchim. Someone asks you, top, stop, pause, think, consider. Someone says, oh, you know, my niece is going out with somebody from your community, the family. Don't just say the first word that comes to your mind. Don't just say your last interaction with them. Don't just say, because that first impression, whatever you're going to say at first, it's powerful it's going to plant itself embed itself imbue itself and now it becomes the the root that has to be overturned and it's hard very hard you can negatively in business somebody asks you your impression so Saramashkim knew that and he was trying to use that to his favor that yes on the one hand it was in sarah Mashkim's own interest to refer yosef why would that help sarah Mashkim to refer yosef he'd solve power's problem he's got a guy but he doesn't want that guy to outshine him. He wants to be the solution to Paro, but he doesn't want to be overshadowed by Yosef. So he plants the first impression. And what does he say? Weirdo. He's a great guy for interpreting dreams, but don't get any ideas, Paro, because total weirdo. Jewish weirdo. Nare every evid. Don't give him any position. But you see from here the power of a first impression, what Sarah Mashkim was trying to take advantage of. And that's why Rashi calls the Sarah Mashkim, cursed are the wicked. Because we read the text and at first it seems he's doing a great teva for Yosef. Wow, he remembered Yosef. Two years later, he remembered him. He referred him. He got him out of his predicament. He got him out of jail. But lest you think he's such a kind-hearted person doing this wonderful thing for Yosef? Even in the middle of doing something that could have helped Yosef, he still tried to hurt him. He still tried to give a negative first impression. He said, you know what? The result of trying to position myself as finding favor with Paro means I have to refer for this Jew but at least let me try to knock him down a few steps while I refer him. In the end, it didn't work. Why? Because Yosef was so impressive that he overcame that first impression. That's what happened with my friends here in our community. When that girl finally gave that guy a shot, he's so wonderful that she knew early on this is who she wanted to marry. But you got to get that shot. You got to overcome that first weirdo impression. You got to overcome it. Not only does Yosef replace and uproot that first impression, he does so in such a potent, strong way that Paro says, Wow! wow. Not only is he not a weirdo, have you ever seen such a spiritual giant? Isn't he incredible? Isn't he special? Two Pesekim later. We said they went and they summoned him to the pit and they brought him by El Paro, Vayishlach says Rav Druk in his new Sefer that we've also been going through, the Lahavas Eish. The Gemara in Yuma, speaking about the greatness of Yosef HaTzadik, says, a It says that Yosef, Yosef faced overwhelming, incomprehensible pressure, seduction of the wife of Potiphar, and he had nothing to lose. He was abandoned, sold by his brothers, disconnected from his family, had no reputation to protect. He had nothing to lose. Lonely, handsome, and this woman won't leave him alone. Every day, every day she would proposition him. Every day she would proposition him. Constantly changing, constantly seducing, constantly propositioning. And what did he say over and over again? It was last week's Ain, with the shasheles on top. Shasheles, the trap, threefold, is Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov. He wanted to remain part of this chain, part of the shasheles. So he found the wherewithal, he found the courage, he found the strength, he found the discipline. If you didn't go to hear our mental health speaker last week, she spoke about the space between the impulse, the urge, and the action. How can we be Vayima'ein? Just because we feel one way, we want to react certain way, we want to indulge a certain thing, we don't have to. There's a space, we're going to send out the video of her talk, if you haven't listened, you should. Yosef is Vayima'ein, Shasheles, he wants to be part of the chain of our Misora, and so he finds the strength to refuse her, her relentless seduction. So what, is, what does Chazal say? Amar hashem She says, if you don't give in, you're going to end up in prison. He says, that's okay, Hashem is matir asurim. Hashem releases those from prison. She says, I'm going to have you beaten. He says, that's okay, Hashem is zokef kafufim. Hashem allows those who are bent over and beaten up to stand straight. I'm going to blind your eyes. He says, I'm good. Hashem God gives sight to the blind. She said, I'll give you all the wealth and riches in the world. Just give in, indulge. That's the end of the Gemara. The end of the Gemara. So you see from the Rishas of Isha's Potiphar, you have all this good in the world, that Hashem is the one. Yosef, Yom Yom, it was every day that she was trying to seduce him, and proposition him, and so on. Yosef Atzadik stood strong and overcame it. And with all the Nisyonas, what happened afterwards? Despite it all, where does he end up? If you're Yosef sitting in prison, you say to yourself, Seriously, Hashem? Like, seriously? I would understand. I did the wrong thing. I indulged. I slept with this married woman. I forfeited my soul, my spirituality, my righteousness, the legacy of my forefathers. I got it. So, mida keneged mida, I got what I deserve. I'm sitting languishing in a dark, damp prison. I got it. But I did the right thing. I did a superhuman thing. And this is the result. This is the conclusion. This is where I end up. It's not just that he wasn't rewarded with great reward. Instead, he seems to be punished with such a harsh punishment. It seems entirely unfair and unjust. It seems absolutely terrible, impossible to understand. And Rav Druk develops a beautiful, powerful, difficult insight. He says, He says, even though it seems that he was in a place of darkness, if you would freeze the frame of his life, if you would press pause in the story of Yosef's life, as he's sitting languishing in the dark prison, he would say, why me? So unfair, so unjust, so dark, so hopeless, so helpless, so terrible. However, if you press not play, if you were to press fast forward, Skip a couple chapters. If you understood the chain of events that would get started by his being in the prison. Had he remained in the home of Potiphar, he would have done well, could have lived nicely. CFO of Potiphar Industries, he could have done nicely, but he never would have been the viceroy of Egypt. He never would have saved the economy, never would have reunited with his father and his brothers never would have brought the Jewish people down to its destiny in Egypt, none of that would have happened. He would have made a good living, been the CFO, and who knows? He needed to go into this pit where he would meet the Sarah Mashkim and Sarah Ophim, where he would be referred to Paro, where he'd become the Viceroy, where he'd save the economy, where his brothers would come down, where he'd be reunited with his father. If we freeze the frame of our lives, sometimes when we press pause, it seems helpless and hopeless, and we wonder, why me? But if only we had that crystal ball, if only we had the remote control to fast forward a few scenes later, we could or would understand that nothing is random or chance. Everything is by design. Everything is carefully curated and choreographed from above. It's all by design. It's all from the Rebona Shalom. And that's what the passage says in Telam, Ba'avim in la-art Matar Harim Chatzir Sometimes the sky seems like it's covered in clouds. It's black clouds can't see the heavens. I don't see Hashem. There's black clouds. Hashem, why are you treating me this way? Why is there such a barrier? Why is there such a distance between us? These dark clouds hang over our head. But But then we understand that those clouds, they're holding the rain that will nourish the ground, that will produce what we need in order to live and to be sustained. Sometimes we stop and only look at the clouds without realizing the clouds carry within them the water that will irrigate and nourish that will produce what we need in order to be able to in order to be able to live. And this Yasodi says, we find it with Hadlakas Nerus of Hanukkah. In Sometimes what feels like darkness, being in a dark place, is actually filled with light. That darkness is the beginning of the spark of light. Just like Yosef Hatzadak was sitting in the dark prison, thought it was over, but that dark prison was all part of how the light could begin. If Yosef were given the choice, you want to stay in the home of Potiphar? Or, here's how the story ends. Go into the prison. You're going to go into dark as a beginning of light. Undoubtedly, he would have chosen to go there. (laughs) There's no such thing as having no darkness. What feels like and seems like darkness is often the beginning of light and it's simply a part of life and it cannot be avoided. It cannot be avoided. Yosef was in this lowly place. Yeah, we'll skip this one because there's a lot more. Okay. Pergmah Malapasak Lamed Gimel. Skip two. Turn the page. 226. Again, we all know the story. Paro recites the dream. Yosef successfully interprets it. Paro rewards and elevates Yosef. Pergmah Malapasak Lamed Gimel. He concludes the interpretation with the advice as we mentioned earlier. You need to find an Yishnavon V'chacham. You need a discerning and wise man to oversee the land. Oversee the land. And here's how you preserve and save your economy. During the fat years, the years of plenty, save. Put aside... And then the food that you save will sustain you and get you through. Wow! Paro says, wow. wow! What an interpretation. What advice. What a strategy. Incredible. He turns to his cabinet. No, what do you say? They said, pretty brilliant. Not bad. Better than what we could come up with. We are in. We love it. The Megid Yosef. Of Yosef Sorotskin says the Megad Yosef. Again, why was this so brilliant? Why do you need to be Navon V'Chacham? You just need somebody who knows how to save for a rainy day. How brilliant do you have to be? You have to be the chief economist of the world? You have to be the most brilliant financial mind in the world? You have to be an Ish Navon V'Chacham to know... Put some money aside in case the air conditioner breaks. Save some money when the roof leaks. How brilliant to have to be to know to do that. Says of Sirotzkin, The wise person doesn't see the future, they know. But if you'd say, that the wise person knows the future, it's not only the wise person. Everybody can. So therefore, it's specifically medukta. Chazal phrased it the way they did. Why? Everybody knows that if you don't prepare for Shabbos, you'll have nothing to eat on Shabbos. (laughs) Chazal used that Lashon. Right? If you're not Toreach of Shabbos, you have nothing to eat on Shabbos. So how brilliant to have to be to know you got to shop and cook to have food to eat on Shabbos. Otherwise, you're going to sit there hungry. The answer is that the fool also knows it, but they don't do anything about it. We know that seeing is believing. Seeing is greater than knowing. So the Chacham doesn't just know the future the chacham sees the future in the present. They see, as they eat the thing they shouldn't eat, they see their next lab report. They see the cholesterol and the A one C. They see the next blood pressure monitor, what it tells them. Meaning, the tipesh, the fool, says, "I know if I eat the wrong things, it's going to be bad for me. I know it." And then they eat it. The wise person sees that food and sees sees the lab result, sees their clothing not fitting sees their life being shorter, sees the sabotage to their own health that they're doing. You have the same thing in in stock trading. Some people, they don't want to cut their loss. You know, what do they say? Uh, Pigs get slaughtered. You'll never buy on the low and sell at the high. It never happens. Never happens. So who does well in the stock market? Those who aren't greedy. Those who understand stop orders and limit orders and they sell before it truly dips or plummets. Yosef, Yosef's suggestion to the power was it's not enough to find some average person who knows in seven years there's going to be a famine. Seven years is going to be plenty. Seven years is going to be a famine. You could get some pedestrian person and say, if seven years is going to be plenty and seven years is going to be a famine, what should we do? And what will that person answer? What should you do? Save. But what's going to happen? Six weeks or six months later, they're going to say, okay, we're supposed to save. Yeah, but I just want this car. There's still plenty of time to save. We could save later. There's plenty to save. We don't need to save that much. Maybe, maybe the famine won't be that bad. In order to actually save, you can't just be Yodea Esanolad. You can't just know the future. You have to be Roa Esanolad. It has to be so real for you that you see it before your very eyes. Because seeing is believing. So if you see, again, this goes back to our Shabbat Shuvah If you see your future self in the present, see your future self. By the way, you have that ability to do it now. One of the articles we shared in the Shabbat Shuvah was technology that's out now. You put in a picture of yourself and you ask it to see what you'll look like. 10, 20, 30, 50 years, whatever your particular horizon might be, you can see what you're going to look like in the future. And you know what they found? That people who've seen what they'll look like in the future make better decisions in the present. You don't feel like you're going to live forever. You know that the choices you make now are going to impact that future you, what you're going to look like, how you're going to live, what your health will be. If you see your future, you live a better present. And that's why... It's not yodea esanolad, it's roa esanolad. We have to learn how in the present to see the future. Live in the present while seeing the future, not just knowing the future. So that's why Yosef says to Paro, you need an ish navon v'chacham. Anyone could know the future. But to see the future, to live in the present while seeing the future, that you need a navon v'chacham. And Paro says, you're my man. You're my man one more Megad Yosef. Paral turns to his Abadav. Have you ever seen such a spiritual giant? Wow! It's not just that he's a brilliant economist. Psh, spiritual giant. The Egyptians says Rav and were idolaters. They engaged in sorcery. This is Yosef's one shot to leave the jail. This is a shot to save himself. He's languishing, dying in prison. He's got an audience with the king. This is it. This is it. So what does he do? I'll tell you what I would have done. I would have quickly gone to the jail computer and Googled, how do you talk like an Egyptian? What do they believe? What's their slang? What do they care about? And then I would have learned their phrases, their beliefs, their ideology. And I would have practiced, what do I need to say to get myself out of here? Does Yosef do that? Points out the Megad Yosef absolutely not. He does the opposite. He does the opposite. Instead of going and invoking their avodazara, or instead of at least, you know, if I were Yosef, maybe I'd put on a baseball cap, take off my yarmulke. I wouldn't say, sure, I'll have the diet coke, but I need to make a bracha out loud. <laughs> Yosef does the opposite. Not only does he not blend in, use their language or vernacular or vocabulary, invoke their idolatry and ideology, not only does he not do any of those things, which strategically would have made much more sense, not only does he not do that, he in fact flaunts and throws in their face who he is, his language, his ideology and philosophy starts talking about Hashem and God and Biladai. It's not me. Elohim yan paro. And how does Paro react? Here, the people he hates, the people he rejects, Yosef's one of them, and he's using their language. He's wearing a big yarmulke, and his tzitzes are flapping. And yet, what's Paro's reaction? Ooh, ish asheruach Elokimbo. Ooh, ah, here's a man of God. Paro starts out by meeting this Jewish slave who is in prison, who successfully interprets a dream, and then a moment later, he's now the viceroy, second to the king. He gives him more power and more trust than a king gets. How does it all happen? According to the Ibn Banum it's written Stavla it says Yosef Kolachman Yosef khalkoim kiru Sinaiv lo nechshila vindar zos der hateva How did it all happen it's a puskin mishlei lave melach piyar hashem akol sheyachpat yitnu I want to tell you I find this so powerful particularly for today Roshatsky wrote Megid Yosef bar hashem ozan gesund und stark He's alive and well but he wrote Megid Yosef many years ago several years ago so not during this war but he's reminding us when we stand tall and proud as Jews, when we don't hide our identity, when we don't cower, apologize, or are defensive, we're proud and practicing who we are, Hashem. then the heart of a king is in the hand of Hashem. Hashem is deciding what happens next, who's in charge, who gives us support, who gives us cover. We have to do our Hashtadlis, we do our effort, but it's all in the hands of Hashem. Yosef wasn't worried about what strategically made the most sense. Yosef didn't go lobby and advocate, take off his yarmulke, put on a baseball cap, not say Hashem's name. He was not defensive, he was not apologetic. He had pride, pride, Jewish pride, Jewish practice. And that's, you want the respect of others? You want presidents and prime ministers, dignitaries and diplomats to respect you? Then respect yourself. Hold your head high with pride and with Jewish practice. And then others will respect us and honor us. When do they disrespect us? When we disrespect ourselves. That's why it's so terrible. Every time a prominent Jew, an elected Jew, a celebrity Jew, is on the wrong side of this issue. Every time they're apologizing for being Jewish, or they're cheering for the wrong side, or they're focused on the wrong things or calling for a ceasefire, it it so sets us back because our enemies thrive on that. That fuels them. When we stand tall and proud and practice, then lev melech b'yad Hashem. HaKadosh Baruch was in charge after that. We do all that we can. We prepare as we spoke about a few weeks ago. Pashas Vayishlach. The three ways that Yaakov prepared. But we don't have to hide and we don't have to apologize and we don't have to be afraid. And we don't have to be afraid. Okay. All we have to be afraid of is running out of time. Okay, I'll do one more. Uh, Twenty more. We have a few from Rav Salavitschik and Imre Chaim from the Vizhnitzer, but we'll do one one more from the Yerucham. Skip, 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 skip. Karet Mem Gimel Pasuk Yud skip two Mem What happens? Right, the brothers have been coming down. Yosef recognizes them. They don't recognize him. Unklus translates, he makes himself unrecognizable to them. Why is that important, that unklos? It's not passively. It's not that Yosef, you know, matured, grew up, grew a beard, looks different, so they don't recognize him. It's not just a technical thing. He makes himself unrecognizable to them. Because the brotherly instinct and love and connection, Yosef has to proactively change so he's unrecognizable. Fine. He feeds them, but he holds one hostage, and he sends them back with their money. It says they have to come back with their youngest brother. Then they go back and have this dialogue with Yaakov. And the Torah tells us, Perak Mem Gimel Pasuk Aleph, Kaved the famine was very severe in the land. When they had finished eating the provisions which they had brought from Egypt, their father said, Go back and get us more food. Can't come back without your youngest brother. Don't come back again. And we have this dialogue going on. Skip to Pesach Yeralef. So what happens? Notice, we spoke about two Shabbos ago, Yaakov and Yisrael. When is he Yaakov? When is he Yisrael? Notice, all of a sudden, we shift to Yisrael. Their father Yisrael says, Yisrael, their father says, if it must be so, if you have to take the youngest back and you're personally guaranteeing, then do this. Take up the land's glory in your bag, bring it down to the man as a tribute. A little balsam, a little honey, wax, lotus, pistachios, and almonds. Take with you double the money. The money that was returned, bring back. Maybe it was an oversight. Take your brother, but you better bring him back. That's what Yaakov, named here as Israel, tells them. Says Rashi, on Aleph, Imkein Efo, if it's so, Zosasu, take with you. Meate me inchem Chaserim Klum Eletfila, Harenin Mispalal Alechem. So what does Yaakov say? Take a little of this, a little of that, a little of the other thing. Go order on Amazon a bunch of gifts. Go bring back the money he accused you of taking and some extra money on top of that. And says, Rashi, now, enchem you're not missing anything. All you're missing is one thing. What are you missing? Says Rashi. Enchem ella. Tfila. All you're missing is a little davening. And that I will give you. Says Yaakov, Yisrael, all you're missing is davening. I'll daven for you. Says Rav Yirucham, Levavitz, says, when we think we've done everything, we've prepared, we bought, we made the effort, we took the initiative. There's still one more thing that's necessary if we're going to have success, and that is davening. After Yaakov tells his sons, He gives them specific. Effort, initiative, they have to engage. Buy this, bring him that, do this, say that, don't do that. He adds on one more thing. All the shtadlis only works with tefillah. You have to daven, you have to daven. And this is a powerful message of Sefer Bereshus, he points out. All of Brishas from the beginning to the end, is built on this. Kodesh Bochum created Maisa Brishas, but until man davened, the rain didn't begin to fall. We know that Hashem created the whole world, including the ecosystem of the clouds and condensation, but the ground didn't produce the rain didn't fall and nourish it. Why? Ki ayin adam aladama. There wasn't man yet. Why do you need man? Because until someone's ready to daven, you don't press go, you don't press start. Avram Avinu promised him that Yitzchak would come, but until he davened for Avi Melach, Sarah didn't get pregnant. Yaakov Avinu until he davened, the mikdash, all the imahs until they davened, they didn't conceive. Yitzias Mitzrayim, until we daven, va'yishma'alokim kemes Everything. Every time that we were in a hard place, a crisis, everything that we've ever wanted to do, accomplish in our lives, every success we've ever sought, there's the initiative, there's the effort, but what is the core key ingredient? Tfila. You have to daven. Daven is the key that unlocks that storehouse. Hashem has so much good He wants to give us. I've given this mashal a billion times. You could win the lottery... But if you turn the ticket, until you turn the ticket and you can't get the money, even though you're entitled to the money, you've got the winning numbers, you won the lottery, you're entitled to it. Why doesn't it magically just transfer to your bank account? Because until you turn the ticket, you don't get the money. The ticket is tefillah. Hashem says, I have such bracha, shefa bracha waiting for you. I have such beautiful things waiting for you. But the way you access it, the way you get it, the way that you open that lock, the way that that begins to flow is tefillah. You have to daven. You have to daven. So here are all the ingredients. Such a beautiful Rashi. It's a simple Rashi in our parasha. You're not missing anything. All you're missing, Ella tfila. so I will daven for you. We have to take our initiative. We have to make our effort. We have to do everything that's in our power and in our hands. But we have to also remember to daven. Revolver writes that about parents. Parents have such responsibility towards their children. Protect them and raise them and educate them. Provide for them. But don't forget to daven for them. The reason the Kohen Gadol ended, in the, ended up in the Ir Miklat, uh, the Kohen Gadol, rather, the people in the Ir Miklat, their lifespan or their time in the Ir Miklat was tied to the life of the Kohen Gadol because the Kohen Gadol Say, Gemara Makos, the Kohen Gadol was meant to daven for his generation. And if there were accidents that happened, it's because he didn't daven hard enough for them. And Revolba extrapolates from there a parent's core job and responsibility, a grandparent's core job and responsibility is to daven for their children and grandchildren. We put them through school and we educate. We get them the best doctor and the best trainer and the best this and the best that. But if you forget to daven, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. You got to daven. In my sitter, I have a little card. I have all the names, my parents, my in-laws, my children, my grandchildren, every shemona esrei, every day. You can't stop. You have to daven with all the effort. Imagine you build something. It's Hanukkah. You got gifts. In My house, we got this going on. You give gifts, and then what is it? Batteries not included. So you got to find a tiny little screwdriver to open the tiny little screw of the tiny little case to insert the batteries. So here you have the box. You took the thing apart. You assembled the toy. There were a million pieces. There were instructions in 14 languages, none of which you could understand or read. And you figured out you assembled the whole toy, but it won't turn on. Why? You put in the effort. You took all the initiative. You put all the pieces together, but it won't turn on. Why won't it turn on? What's it missing? The batteries. The batteries of life is tefillah, is davening. You could assemble all the parts. You could take all the initiative. You could put it all together. But until you daven, you can't find success. So we daven. We daven that the efforts and the initiative of our heroes should all work, should be effective, they should come home, they should bring home all who need to come home. Please stay for a few minutes. We'll complete all of Sefer Tehillim together. Alicht again, Afrelecha Hanukkah.